Good morning. <clears throat> it's good to be with you this morning. Um, we haven't read our scripture yet, have we? Uh, we are uh, uh, in Hebrews 12 this morning, and it's uh, perhaps sadly the final week of the Encouraging Word series. Uh, we do have a youth Sunday next Sunday, which we may throw some surprises into. Um, but um, this week I chose the passage, and it's one that uh, I feel is, uh, is inspired uh, because I feel like it wraps up everything we've been doing for a few months now. To kind of catch you up to speed if you're visiting or if you've just not been paying attention for a few months, um, <laughs> we've read through, <laughs> or maybe you've been on a really long vacation, um, uh, we've read through uh, Psalm 20. This is no particular order here. Uh, Isaiah 43, uh, Philippians 4, uh, Romans 12, James 3, 17, and Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Isaiah 40, 27 to 31. Uh, I think I missed one that somehow got lost in my a messy office, and then uh, today we're reading Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 2. Uh, what Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 gives us is essentially what these last few months have given to me personally, and I mean it, and I hope to you as well. Uh, you see, what is represented by these uh, cardstock uh, bookmarks here uh, is uh, the witness of Scripture, the cloud of witnesses uh, that have gone before us, and uh, it represents you as well. It represents uh, what has inspired you and uh, what many of you uh, have brought to the congregation as passages uh, worthy of our consideration. And so today we read from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I'll read it for us. Um, it goes like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Today's sermon is about three things, and you'll hear them through uh, the sermon so it's about endurance, it's about faith. Witnesses, endurance, and faith. Before we get there, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place and into our hearts this morning that you might dwell among us and within us that you change that piece of our heart this morning that we've been clinging to, that we've needed to let go of, that we might indeed run the race that you've set out for us, 
a race that you've called us to, and that we might run it with endurance and with honor, that we might bring glory to you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, if you will, and when I say if you will, I mean go ahead and do it, uh, turn with me uh, to Hebrews. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in your pew bag. We're actually going to be uh, in, yes, Hebrews 12 is, is where we're getting to. The end of Hebrews 10, the whole of Hebrews 11, I won't read it all, I promise, but it's a, all of this sits together, actually, as one enormous uh, well, some people say sermon. Uh, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is writing a series of sermons, and this one hangs together. And uh, the end of chapter 10 is uh, very similar to what we find in chapter 12, the beginning of chapter 12. And so, uh, for example, uh, starting in verse 32, uh, what we get, well, we get text, right? Context uh, in my world is, well, it's not everything, but it's a lot of things. Uh, it matters a whole lot. Because what we get in terms of context is just who the writer of Hebrews is speaking to. And it's clear that these people are in a state uh, of harm or persecution, or that in some way they are bedraggled people. They're struggling in some fashion. Maybe they've been through a pandemic, who knows? <laughs> Right? Or maybe they've been through uh, a really tough uh, spot in their own life. Maybe they've lost a loved one. Maybe they've experienced a divorce. Maybe they've gone through uh, a child who has graduated from college or, uh, and is, is now out in the world, and they're really worried about this child uh, who's out in the world, and, and things are weighing in on them. Maybe this is, is who the Hebrew author is writing to goes like this, but recall the former, when after you were enlightened, he says, uh, which is to say after uh, the lights came on within you, uh, after you found faith, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunderings of your own property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. It's clear, whoever this is, that they're suffering in some fashion, they've suffered, and it's probably connected to their faith, right? The fact that they came to faith got them in trouble somehow. And um, it's possible that some of you have experienced um, some kind of trouble because of your faith, but I'm going to guess it's not quite losing property or the sorts of things we find here. Um, but it does cause us to wonder, you know, what are we willing to lose? Like, how, how much are we willing to suffer for our own faith? But he goes on. Verse 35, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, and we start to get into some critical words here. He says, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, right? This is one of these words that's going to show up. I said the sermon's about three things, witnesses, endurance, and faith. 
so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised, right? The idea here being that we must indeed finish the race, as Laura so wonderfully gave us this metaphor of someone needing to finish the race and the endurance to get us to the end of it all, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive the reward that's standing at the end of it all. And then he quotes from Isaiah and Habakkuk, and he says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. There's so much I wanted to say here. I'm trying to keep my, my message a little briefer today. Um, but this passage, just know, it's actually about Jesus. Th- th- these two passages, both of them together, it's like, again, Isaiah and Habakkuk, pulled together. It's a messianic prophecy that uh, the author of Hebrews is, is pulling out of the Old Testament. And he's saying that this person is Jesus, and he is the one who lives by faith. And then he offers that faith to you and to me. And he says, we're not one of those who shrink back, are we? Right? And he's really kind of pepping them up. We're not the ones who shrink back. Instead, what? We are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Right? And then we get into the passage that we all know, right? This, by the way, there is actually no period in in the Greek. This just kind of, it just all flows one into the next here. And chapter 11, verse 1, gives us the wonderful definition of faith, right? We've all read it before. It's worth reading again. And uh, I hope to shine some light on what's actually happening in this passage. Faith. It's, it's kind of a critical buzzword in uh, Christianity at large, isn't it? <laughs> it's something we should know about. And this is one of these places where it gives us uh, somewhat of a succinct definition of faith. And he goes on and he says, Now, faith is, and this is how the ESV puts it, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's just stop there for a second. It's worth noting, you got two parallel phrases running side by side, right? Uh, This often happens in Hebrew scripture, but it can happen in the New Testament as well. And usually the author is trying to say the same thing twice. He's just re-emphasizing the same thing. And so he's saying here, the faith is, again, ESV translation, assurance of things hoped for, right? The things that we haven't, experienced yet, the things that are yet to come, the things that are uh, ahead, or the things that uh, are maybe up in the heavens awaiting us, and is the conviction of things not seen, right? Those things we, we can't see with our own eyes, faith is the conviction of those things. Let me, let me just kind of unpack the two key, key words here, right? Assurance in the ESV and Conviction, assurance and conviction. Here's my uh, Eric Gilchrist take on uh, this passage. I think what we find here, we find ourselves in the courtroom 
and the author is using courtroom language. These two words in particular, and another one that's about to come. And the courtroom language is to say that if somebody's on trial, it's the invisible things, right? It's the things that we don't know about. It's the things that we're hoping for, the things we haven't yet seen, and we're trying to figure out a way to know them. And what the author is giving us is two words, which is translated here, assurance, which, you know, is okay, but it really means something more like substance or essence or, my favorite, the embodiment. Faith as embodied, right? And so we're taking the things that are not yet revealed or, or not yet seen and we're putting bodies to them. And then he goes on. In the second half, again, ESV translation says, the conviction of things not seen. This one, uh, conviction's okay. Again, like a lot of wiggle room with all these words here, just so you know. Uh, my take on it, we're still in the courtroom, and now this is a courtroom word that you're very familiar with, and it is evidence. It's proof, right? And so the faith becomes the proof of the thing you haven't seen yet. Whether it's God himself, we haven't seen God. Whether it's the promise of the kingdom come, we haven't seen that yet. Right? Whether it's the promises that are offered in Scripture, many of which we haven't seen fulfilled yet. Whatever those are, we must have faith. And the embodiment... Or the proof sits in, well, what's about to happen here? Verse 2. Verse 2 says, For by it the people of old, and do you know who the people of old are? Who's the people of old in this, in this chapter? Anybody? Yeah, it's a, oh, the cloud of witnesses, A-plus student uh, on the front row. Uh, no, uh, yeah, the, it's the Old Testament, right? It's, it's all the people that are about to come. I mean, he's about to, like, literally tell the story of the Old Testament. If you haven't read uh, the chapter 11 in Hebrews, at some point today, maybe after the fall festival, uh, just read it. It's filled, uh, it's, it's like telling the Old Testament story from Genesis all the way to the end, right? I mean, this is what you get in chapter 11 here. And so these uh, people of old, the uh, ancients, well, they, it's, <laughs> this is where I, I, I usually love the ESV, but I'll be honest, I haven't found a good translation of this anywhere. And so you're in on a secret here. Uh, this phrase, the people of old received their commendation. That's what mine says. Any other, uh, any other translations out there? Received their commendation is what mine says. The people of old did what? They gained approval, right? Yep. Commended for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I find all of these oddly, uh, uh, like, just slightly off base. And here's why. 
The passage that is our passage for today, which we haven't yet got to, uh, talks about a cloud of witnesses. Do you know this word, witnesses? This is one of our three words for the day, right? Witness. And it, it too is a courtroom word, right? You, you call the witness to the stand. And uh, this word right here that gets translated as uh, received their commendation or all of these other translations that are out there, that too, this is the exact same word. It, it means the ones who witness. And so uh, the author of Hebrews is calling witness stand. What does faith look like, he's asking. He's like, what is faith? He's like, let me tell you what faith is. Faith is, well, it's Abel. Faith is Enoch. Faith is Noah. Faith is Abraham. All these people, he calls up to the witness stand. He says, this is what faith looks like again and again and again. These are the faithful people in our scriptures. They're the torchbearers. They're the ones who light the way for us and show us what it looks like to live a God-honoring life, right? That... That is what faith is. Now, too often, we turn faith into something that's up here, and if I just believe the right things, if I just think the right things. Uh, The NIV uh, gets the, the header right on this chapter. It says that this is faith in action, I think is how it describes this. Faith in action. And if your faith is not somehow also active, well, then you're doing it wrong. I'm just going to go ahead. You're doing it wrong. If your faith is not active, as it is here in uh, Hebrews 11, then you're doing it wrong. Because faith is active. Faith is an outworking of who you are and what you believe, but there's an action to it. And so we have here, what? We have faith. We've got our witnesses. And now we need the endurance. Started. And so the context to the whole thing is the author of Hebrews is writing to a beleaguered people. He's saying, I know you're struggling right now. And I know life is hard. And I know you've been through a lot, but I am encouraging you to finish the race that you started. The race of faith is one worth continuing. He says, you're not alone. Many people have come before you. Many, many others have walked this uh, race and finished it. And then he goes through the whole list of chapter 11. And like literally the whole chapter is just name after name after name after name after name. And then he gets back to 12, which is my sermon for today. So I should begin now. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight And every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Note, by the way, Jesus doesn't make it 
into the list from chapter 11 because Jesus perfects it in chapter 12, right? That's how that works, is chapter 11, the list of a cloud of witnesses who do it well, and then chapter 12 gives us the perfecter of the faith, the one who does it perfectly, who does it rightly, who gives us the perfect model of how to walk with faith. So he says, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Witnesses, endurance, and faith. This is my message for today. Chapter 12, 1 and 2, talks about a great cloud of witnesses. And just so we're all on the same page as to who these witnesses include, they are indeed the ancients that have gone before us, right? That whole list that comes to us from chapter 11, and many more that the author could have included. The saints of Scripture. All the people represented right here, and again, many more. Both the authors of Scripture and the characters that appear on the pages of Scripture that these authors are talking about. Those are the cloud of witnesses. But it doesn't stop there. Because uh, though Scripture might end at, like, let's say, uh, A.D., just for ease, uh, history goes on. And church history is filled with wonderful people who have modeled what it means to live a, uh, a, a good life, a saintly life, a, a life of faith. And so I have my own heroes from church history. You might not have church history heroes. I actually hope you do, though, uh, because believe it or not, church history didn't begin in the 20th or 21st century. Uh, it began a long time ago. And so people like St. Augustine mean a lot to me. People like Athanasius mean a lot to me. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I quote a ton. Luther, Calvin even. I disagree with Calvin a lot, but holy cow, uh, life of faith, right? You get the idea. There's a lot of people. But the cloud of witnesses doesn't end there, does it? The cloud of witnesses isn't just uh, dead people. <laughs> the cloud of witnesses is living, right? And the ways in which we as a church are able to witness and get up on that witness stand for one another to demonstrate what faith looks like, what faith in action looks like, that's powerful stuff. That's powerful. And I don't know about you, but I've definitely needed it at various points in my life. I've needed to be able to look at not just someone in here, but someone out there who's doing it well and who I can say, you know, I, I really, I can learn a lot from that person. I want to be more like Jesus ultimately, and this person points me to being more like Jesus. Paul does that on a routine basis. Paul will say, be like me. <laughs> and what he's really be like me because I'm trying to be like Jesus.
So we have our witnesses. Endurance. What about endurance? <clears throat> endurance recognizes, I think, that as uh, the author says in chapter 10, 32, which I read, that hard struggles and suffering, they're part of this world and even part of living a faithful life. There's just no way around it. And you shouldn't think that just because you do live that faithful life, that means you get excluded from the hardship of it all or the suffering of it all. I'm here to say that that's, that's part of the deal. It's all part of the deal. These struggles can come in many forms. My guess is that I don't actually need to name your struggle out loud. You probably know it already. But what you need to know is that God is calling you to lay that down. And so in 12.1, our passage for today the author says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. And when I hear those two things, weight and sin, when I hear the weight part, I think those things that we do not invite into our own lives, but they still weigh us down, right? These are harder to lay aside because they're often out of our control, the cancer diagnosis, the death of the loved one, the demoralizing feeling of a lost job. God calls us to lay these down, and you should. With all of these things and more, God calls us to faithful living, and it's not easy. And you can't do it alone, and you should not do it alone, because there is a cloud of witnesses surrounding you. But then there's the other half of it, the sin half, right? And here's where things get real. It's one of the things, uh, it's one thing to recognize that the world's getting you down and something out of your control is getting you down. But let's be honest, there's things in here that are getting me down and, and things in there that are getting you down as well, Right? It's a different kind of hard in laying our sin down, but it's hard too. Laying down the ways that you have let yourself down, the ways you have let God down, the ways you have been self-sabotaging your own life, but it is time to lay those down too. Friends, the race that we are all running together is not yet over but you must lay these things down if you are going to run the race in a manner worthy of your calling. Jesus is waiting, just waiting to forgive you of your sin. He is waiting to make you a new creation, but you must lay it down. You must confess. Endurance also. Endurance also is running the race that is simply set before us. And it's worth asking yourself, what race has God called you to? What race has God called me to? Where might he be calling even us as a church? 
Endurance is looking to the great cloud of witnesses. And endurance is looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. William Barclay says it this way about endurance. He says, endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. That's a high calling. It's not just to bear the hard thing, turn it into glory. Or to use uh, the author of Hebrews' own words, it would be 12.3. Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus takes the hard thing and he turns it into something that is glorifying. Last is this. Ultimately, it all comes back. So what is, well, we read it in the beginning of chapter 11, I think that faith is embodied. It's not just in the head. It's not just who you are. The great cloud of witnesses from chapter 11 are the substance of the things hoped for. They are the proof that God exists. (laughs) They are the proof that the promises waiting for us are true. And you and I get to offer opportunities to be a witness as well. The creation itself gives, offers an opportunity for faith. That's where he begins, by the way. And then he turns to Abel, and then to Enoch, and, and then to Noah, and then to Abraham, and, and it goes on, and it goes on and on. And all of these people embody what faith looks like. But faith is also active. The faith expressed here is not something that these men or the women believed in their heads, It's something that they actually did. If you were to read through this chapter, line by line, chapter 11 now, what you would find is that Abel offering a sacrifice is what faith means. That's what that means, right? Or uh, Noah constructing the ark. That's what faith means. Or Abraham obeyed when he was called. That's what faith means, right? The other thing about faith Faith is, it turns out, contagious. Faith is contagious. Your faith can encourage me to faithful living, and I pray that my faith can encourage you to faithful living. Your faith can encourage one another, which is why I had you all sending me these passages and coming up here and giving some of your own faith story and showing one another what it looks like to live a faithful life. So that you encourage one another. Faith is indeed contagious. And the author points to people of faith in order to instill faith in others. Faith is also not meant to be uh, lived in isolation. There is indeed a great cloud for a reason. We are intended for life together. And lastly, faith starts with Jesus, who is the founder, the author, and the perfecter 
of faith. It is Jesus who grants us faith that we may be faithful and endure. Our own faith is not possible without Christ. But he does more than that. He also shows us what faith looks like. It even says in verse 2, Jesus showing us what the faith looks like is, for the joy that was set before him, he endured, right? He showed us what the endurance looks like by enduring the cross, despising shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Teresa of Avila says it this way. It's a a succinct quote. There's a lot in here. It's just one line. She says, Out of suffering, out of suffering, our suffering, comes the serious mind. Out of salvation, the grateful heart. Out of endurance comes fortitude or strength. Out of deliverance comes faith. Patient endurance attends to all things, she says. I want to end this series where I began it. Uh, I don't know if you remember where we began, we began, but I was in a tough time. I was having a, a tough go of things. I took out of the pulpit, if you recall. And these last two months uh, have been uh, inspiring to me in a profound way. I have been able to speak with many of you about what your faith means to you in troubled times. I've been able to hear your stories. I've been able to walk alongside a great cloud of witnesses, both those living and those who have passed on. And uh, this has been a time of uh, faith growth in my own life. I think it's important that you 